Let's be honest with your host, Just Jonda. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just Jonda's LBD. And for those who are new, that stands for Legal Breakdown. And boy, do we have some big time legal news tonight. I thought that the next time you heard from me, it, it not that I still won't be getting into it, uh, we would be talking about some of the pop culture related legal news, things on Britney Spears, Erica Jane and Tom Girardi and more, which we will, but this is absolutely breaking news, which is why you've got my breaking news music that I love so much. Oh my goodness, I hope that you all can hear me. I just realized that I didn't have my headphones on, but <laughs> but I think we will be fine. I was so excited to get on the air that, um, you know, I gave myself a technical difficulty. But for those of you who are in the room, just give me an emoji of any kind and let me know that you can hear me okay. And I welcome you all to the room. So let's get right into this because everybody is wondering what the heck happened. For the, the last we knew, Bill Cosby was sentenced to 10 years. We knew he was probably going to do about eight or so. I, I honestly am not sure what the good behavior rules are in Pennsylvania, but I have been following this case closely. And what I can say is that literally just within the past few weeks, there was a story about the fact that he had been denied parole because one of the conditions for him to even be considered was that he had to do a sexual assault, a sexual offender class. And as part of all of that, he would have to take responsibility, admit guilt, etc. Now, we could go back and forth all day long about what he said or didn't say in the depositions, but we're, we're, that was in the civil case. We're talking about the criminal case. And in a few moments, we're going to really dig deep in, into that because that played very key into the court's decision. But the bottom line is that based on the fact that he was just recently denied parole, I had conversations with folks as recently as a week ago, just with friends about what do you think? When's he going to be released, etc. So now here is the dish. As of today, the Supreme Court of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So this is huge. Decide, uh, decided that the charge, so we're not just talking about something wrong, potentially wrong with the case as like, ha like it happens on most appeals, but decided that the underlying charges that he was charged with would be, should be dismissed. Therefore, it would be as if he was never charged, no record of this case, 
And of course, if you're never charged with something, then what? You're not in jail. You are immediately released. So how did we get this far? Um, some would say so fast. I wouldn't say fast. The man has been in jail for two years and given the circumstances of his, of his release, however you may feel about Mr. Cosby, two years, or as we may call him, Bill the Pill, two years is a long time to be in jail for a charge that you should have never been charged with in the first place. Now, I'm going to say at the outset that based on Bill Cosby's own admissions, not to mention the fact that despite the fact that there may be a couple of, as the new generation calls it, clout chasers in the mix, all 50 some odd people were not lying on this man. So I am not going to in any way engage in a debate about that point. Mr. Cosby incriminated himself on numerous occasions, not just in the deposition, but even just laughing and joking with Larry King talking about Spanish fly. So we're not talking about a situation where Bill Cosby is not guilty of assaulting at least some of these women. Whether or not he assaulted Miss Constan, I am going to go with D.A. Castor on this, although as we go through this, this is the only thing I'm going to agree with D.A. Castor on. But I'm going to go with him on this and, and say that uh, it was a, a rather weak case and I could understand absolutely why they did not uh, go into it. They didn't want to initially prosecute it. So whether, you know, is this a legal victory? Yes, for those of us, especially myself as a lifelong defense attorney, then this is the stuff I live for when people's rights are, um, if someone's rights are violated, then a wrong is righted. But is it a moral victory? Of course not, because... Uh, he is a sexual predator and I, I'm not going to say alleged. We already know that. Okay. So agreed. If, if you don't like it too bad, you're on the wrong show. So in order to really break this down to you, because the decision itself, it's, it's simple, but, um, there's a lot of facts around it. And so when you hear the talking heads about it, talk about it, they're going to make, try to make it more complicated than it is so that they could give you a story out of it. I am going to cut through the crap, give you, uh, the meat and potatoes of this, but of course, with all the good language. So when you talk about it around the water cooler tomorrow, you'll sound super intelligent, know what you're talking about. And on top of that, you can tell everybody about your best friend, Just Jonda, who you can listen to on any podcast platform once this episode goes up. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump ahead into the decision because I think that it is it's very important that you understand it before we get into all of the mess, that you understand that ultimately this is a case that was actually decided on constitutional principles. Who knew that this case involving Bill Cosby would ultimately end up being a situation that ended that was decided 
on constitutional uh, principles. In this case, that principle being due process, specifically the Fifth Amendment. So let's talk about that because people always say, I plead the Fifth, I plead the Fifth. Well, let's talk about how the Fifth Amendment comes into play on this case. And once I explain that to you, then we'll get into the facts. And I promise you, because I'm doing this way, it'll all make sense. Okay, so the Fifth Amendment, and the great thing about this is I'm going to use D.A. Castor's own words uh, about how he uh, sort of applied the Fifth Amendment in this case and what his understanding was when he tried to explain the BS that went down as it relates to Mr. Cosby. So the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution states that a person may not be compelled to give evidence against themselves. So you can't subpoena somebody and make them testify that they did something illegal or evidence that would lead somebody to conclude that they did some something illegal. And you certainly can't do it on the threat that if you don't answer, you'll be subject to <laughs> you'll be subject to sanctions because you're under subpoena. So, in this case, and this is what DA Castor did, and I'll explain to who he is in a moment. So the way you remove that from a witness in this case Mr. Cosby, if you want to, is what D.A. Castor did in this case. And he said, what I did in this case is, and I'm speaking as Mr. Castor, I made the decision as the sovereign, which is the state of Pennsylvania, because when you are a district attorney or Commonwealth's attorney, as we call them in Virginia, so if you hear me say D.A. or C.A., I will probably use them interchangeably just because of what I'm used to. He made the decision as the sovereign that Mr. Cosby would not be prosecuted no matter what. And as a matter of law, that that made it so that he couldn't take, a, took, couldn't take the fifth in the civil cases or that were pending against him or subsequent civil case as it related to Mr. Constan. And then he further sort of doubled down on giving Bill Cosby a reason to believe that because he gave a press conference saying we've declined to prosecute Bill Cosby for these reasons. Okay, so with the Fifth Amendment in mind, let's go back to what happened. I'm going to give you a, a quick rundown of the facts because I don't think we need to climb all inside of the cesspool of every detail of the case as it relates to this woman. So back in sometime between 2002 and 2000, uh, about 2002, 2003, it sounds like most of these things happened in 2003, Bill Cosby met, uh, met the woman who was, um, who was the alleged victim in this case. They met due to her association with uh, Temple University. She had gone to, uh, she was from Canada. She came down and she was participating in some program. And as we know, Cosby and his wife were very involved with colleges. And of course we know he has a particular affinity for Temple. Um, in fact, I think think I could be wrong. It may even be Temple that gave him uh, his honorary doctorate, but don't quote me on that. So anyway, um, they developed what she 
claims was a working relationship and 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 so did cosby um i think that that's one point that <laughs> of many that they don't agree on that they did agree on and during the course of that relationship and and i don't mean it to make it sound like they were having some kind of an affair but they did have some type of sort of mentor-mentee relationship as, as far as she views it and um, as far as he views it, just somebody that he knew because of his association with Temple, who he subsequently had sexual relations, sexual relations with that, of course, he says were um, consensual, she says weren't. So over the course of 2003 and into 2004, they had uh, this business relationship and a couple of times had dinners and meetings with other groups of people once or twice alone. Now, uh, in 2004, they had a couple of odd encounters where he invited uh, her to his home in Sheltonham where he had dinner and stuff for her like in a room where she ate it by herself and then I mean that whole thing was really weird ultimately on one of those occasions she said that he made a pass at her um it didn't go anywhere she made it clear to him that she wasn't interested but they continued the relationship um on the phone and stuff um from what she describes the pass wasn't um uh, you know, he didn't throw her down or anything, but it was an obvious pass because he reached for her pants. So um, later on, in uh, later on in let's say uh, the winter of two thousand four, she met with him again, and she this was the occasion where they met they had met in a ho at a hotel he made another pass at her she left and that was a, some kind of conference so there were other people there they met again and he gave her some pills which she did uh take willingly he told her it was like three blue pills he said that they would like make her chill out or something like that she took the pills and as we know the uh story uh the allegations go she woke up and um, like anyone else in, in an alleged uh, situation like this, pants, askew, underwear, bra, whole nine yards. So that was in January of 2004. She'd still continued to keep some minor contact with him. Um, and she moved back to Canada. Ultimately, in early 2005, uh, she did speak with her uh, speak with her mother about it because she just couldn't get it out of her mind. And she, you know, with the support of her mother, she contacted the district attorney's office in uh, in Pennsylvania, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. So the next part I'm going to read to you directly from the court as to what happened with this. And uh, some of this we know because this stuff was what was discussed originally in the trial, um, or at least when the charges first came about. In February 25, then District Attorney Castor, so this was the person who was the District Attorney of Montgomery County at the time uh, when these charges were initially discussed, not filed, just discussed. He reviewed Ms. Constance's statements and her interviews with officers from his department and 
uh, Bill Cosby's written answers because they contacted his attorneys since they there had been back and forth between Cosby's attorneys anyway. So he looked at it in order to assess the viability of the prosecution of Cosby. So, quote, the fact that Constant failed to promptly file a complaint against Cosby troubled the district attorney. In D.A. Castor's view, such a delay diminished the reliability of any recollections and undermined the investigator's efforts to collect forensic evidence. Moreover, D.A. Castor identified a number of inconsistencies in Constant's various statements to investigators. After Cosby provided his written answers, police officers searched his Cheltenham residence and found no evidence that, in their view, could be used to confirm or corroborate Constance's allegations. Now, we also know this was well over a year later when all of this was done, in, in fairness, as it relates to them not finding any little boo pills. Um, D.A. Castor noted that there were inconsistencies in that interview which further impaired her credibility in his eyes. He also learned that before she contacted the police in Canada, Constant had contacted civil attorneys in Philadelphia, likely for the purpose of pursuing financial compensation in a lawsuit against Cosby. Additionally, according to D.A. Castor, Constant's behavior in the years since the alleged assault complicated any effort to secure a conviction against Cosby. So he, so long story short, he knew that the recurring interactions that they had after that, however much they may have been, um, may have been totally benevolent on either of their parts where they may have been a situation where this was a very powerful man that she didn't want to make an enemy of it was still going to be problematic. D.A. Castor found that these recurring interactions between a complainant and an alleged perpetrator to be atypical. So he argued they would not be normal. Now we know that you can't say that they there would never that they would it would never happen, but bottom line with all of this cuz there's some more details about why the prosecution had a problem with this. But long story short, D.A. Castor found that there was insufficient, insufficient, credible and admissible evidence upon which any charge against Cosby related to the constant incident could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Because remember, you got to have you this you have to have 12 people who all agree that this conviction could happen. And prosecutors make decisions every day that you may agree or disagree with certainly if you're a victim of any kind you're probably going to disagree if you fall on the receiving end of the prosecution deciding your case isn't viable because that's what we're talking about here your case isn't one that we can win in fact we'll be lucky if we even make it past a motion to strike the evidence or a motion to dismiss on this case because it's what messy. Now, again, a caution to anybody jumping in. All of this is related only to the Constand case, the case for which he was convicted, which is only one. Now, at that point, having determined that a criminal trial was not likely to be won, this is where the messiness on the prosecution's office goes into hyperdrive. So as you know, I'm going to say this is where it gets good. 
D.A. Caster, which honestly, was it really your job, bruh? He contemplated an alternative course of action that could basically put Ms. Constan on the path to some form of justice. So essentially, the D.A. pretty much stuck his nose where it didn't belong, which is to say that he was like, well, I can't get you justice because your case for one of a better way of putting it is shitty from a criminal standpoint because the standard is just too damn high is guilt beyond a reasonable doubt which is an extremely high standard however we know that the civil standard and for those of you who are old enough to follow the oj case you learned about the difference in the standards then the civil standard is much lower so if she is suing for money which they kind of knew she was because or that at least she was contemplating it because of the fact that one there were multiple suits in other places going on and even more importantly they knew she had been contacting attorneys which was part of the issue with them uh part of the credibility issue so what they did and these these are his words to aid constant in her pursuit as the sovereign so speaking on the behalf of the state of Pennsylvania, which any prosecutor does when they are doing their job, when they make a plea deal with you or when they make an agreement with you or whatever the case may be, if they are doing it within uh, the context of their job, then they are speaking on behalf of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So as sovereign, the district attorney decided that this office would not prosecute Cosby, believing that his decision, now this is important, would ultimately, uh, ultimately would then set off the chain of events that he thought as a minister of justice would gain, uh, would gain some justice for Andrea Constan. He reasoned that Cosby would no longer be able in a civil lawsuit to invoke his Fifth Amendment privilege in, uh, against self-incrimination for fear that his statements would later be used against him by the Commonwealth because there would be no criminal case. So your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination relates to criminal prosecution. So this is where, uh, I hope you're, you're with me. This is where the rubber hits the road in this case. And this is where the due process piece comes in. Now, your Fifth Amendment right relates only to criminal prosecution. If I tell you, as what happened in this case, if Mr. D, if D, D.A. Castor tells Mr. Cosby and his counsel, because he had counsel, and we know it was good and it was, uh, you know, highly paid. If he had, it, he, if he told him, which he agrees, yes, I did tell him, that I am not going to prosecute you. I, he agreed, I am not going to prosecute you. Then the your Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination as it relates to a civil case that is related to this incident is no, it doesn't apply. As they say on Basketball Wives, it's a non-MFN factor because at that point, you have nothing to fear. 
And the whole it and the whole point of the Fifth Amendment is that you not be induced to give statements or any evidence against yourself and then it be used against you when you didn't uh, so you have a right to do that but you also have a right to decide not to do that well in this case because the prosecutor took prosecution off the table what happened bill cosby was subpoenaed he did not he relied he and his very well paid uh, very smart attorneys they relied on the fact that uh, he was not going to be prosecuted. He did not raise his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because it was not an issue or it wasn't supposed to be. So not only did he testify, he, he did four different depositions and more or less than damn near all of them, he incriminated himself as it relates to these cases. And we know this to be the case. Why? Because the prosecution later on, which we'll get into, used those uh, evidence from those depositions against him in his criminal prosecution when he was prosecuted 10 years later. So, in Mr. Castor's own words, the Fifth Amendment, remember I said earlier, the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states that a person may not be compelled to give evidence against themselves. So you can't subpoena somebody, make them testify that they did something illegal or evidence that would lead someone to conclude they did something illegal on the threat that if you don't answer, you'll be subject to sanctions because you're under su subpoena. So the way you remove that from a witness is, if you want to, is you make the decision to that you're not going to prosecute them no matter what and as a matter of law that made it so he couldn't take his fifth amendment couldn't take the fifth in that civil case because he wasn't going to be prosecuted now was that crafty yes legal yes what happened later no so what happens later 10 years later in it's around 2015 someone else who was uh, who worked in the office decided to prosecute now by the way just uh one quick thing going back to um going back to this fifth amendment thing um the district attorney testified later you know when he got in trouble recalled that his thought process at the time was that it was absolutely his intent to remove for all time and this is in the court record the possibility of prosecution because the ability to take the fifth amendment is also for all time removed so think of this in terms of a contract even though it wasn't written i made you an offer you accepted and detrimentally relied on it. And what Cosby detrimentally relied on was the fact that he was not going to be prosecuted as it relates to the incident involving Ms. Constant. And what does that mean? I'm not going to be prosecuted. So if I get subpoenaed, I run my mouth. Well, why was that to his detriment? because he ran his mouth and 
not only did he not raise the fifth, but he couldn't. And of course he was prosecuted. So when you wrap all of that up in a big fat bow, his fifth amendment rights were violated because the, the government, because the state is the government, the government put him in a position of, re of reliance and in reliance, he basically gave up his rights of fundamental rights in the Bill of Rights. We're talking about his Fifth Amendment right. And then he was slapped in the face with it. Now, did D.A. Castor uh, communicate to Constant or her counsel his decision to permanently forego prosecuting him? No. In fact, she didn't learn of it until um, a reporter appeared at one of her civil attorney's offices later that evening. And they mean that evening they're talking about the press conference. So uh, about in March of that same year, less than about a month of about a month after the press release, Constant filed a lawsuit uh, against Cosby in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. And ultimately, uh, as we know, Cosby sat for four depositions and his civil attorney learned of, which is obviously all of his attorneys were in contact with one another. His civil attorney learned of the agreement from his criminal attorney. So of course, from the perspective of his attorneys, Cosby was legally deprived of uh, invoking his right to plead the fifth but it really didn't matter very much because he wasn't going to be prosecuted anyway. Um, during one deposition, uh, his one of his attorneys did uh, specifically tell him not to answer certain questions pertaining to Constan. But even when he didn't answer some of those questions, he still didn't invoke his right to the fifth. So... That's what happened there. So now we jump ahead to all these years later when uh, Mr. Cosby was prosecuted not once but twice because remember the jury, it was a hung jury the first time. Well, let's put the time into perspective. Now this is where you get the just Jonda part as opposed to um, what's in the decision, which I'll come back to in a moment. So look, put this into perspective where we were around, uh, 2015, 2016, um, when all of this happened, you still had all of these women coming out and it wasn't just because of Bill Cosby. You had a lot kicking up over the past five years and rightfully so as it relates to, people getting away with these violations against women, um, young women, young men, and all of that. And we know that Hollywood was particularly affected by this. Not everybody was prosecuted, but certainly folks began to speak out. The stories started to come out. Me Too was uh, really going into play. So, of course, as there was mounting pressure as it relates to Cosby, because you had these women talking for years and you had numbers as high as 30, 40, 50 women, some that people found credible, some that people didn't. And, and we know that. And, you know, you take the good with the bad with these things because 
Uh, whether some of these women were lying or not, we know that not every victim looks as good on paper as others. I know one that people particularly uh, shut down was Janice Dickinson, and I was one of the people who said, you got to um, open your mind and look at Janice Dickinson when she was the height, at the height of her career as a supermodel, not Janice Dickinson that we have gotten to know as the hot mess on America's Next Top Model and whatever. You look at Janet, uh, Janice Dickinson at uh, at the top of her game, which would have been, which is when she would have come in contact with Bill Cosby. She was unequivocally uh, considered one of the most beautiful women in the world. And she certainly partied with this crowd and Studio 54 and all of that. So it's not hard to believe that she would have been in Cosby's company and certainly given the amount of drugs and stuff going around both any she may have gotten from him or drugs that she was taking herself, which we know she is admitted to doesn't mean that it couldn't have happened. But the bottom line is, we know that for various reasons, some people have been found to be more credible than others. And and that, that happens, no shade to anybody in particular. So what happened as it relates to this Constand case, uh, and, and at the time, some of you may remember, there was a lot of talk about the statute of limitations, which is not why the case got overturned, but there was a lot of talk about that at the time because what they discovered, which again put even more pressure on this office to essentially shoot itself in the foot and by extension um, violate Bill Cosby's constitutional rights and he ended up in jail, which um, is that literally in every other incident that was discussed in terms of women coming forward, the statute of limitations had run because no one had accused him of doing any of these things. At least, well, we'll we won't say no one, but the other accusers who were known at the time had all been years before. I mean, hell, even the Constant case was technically January 2004 when, you know, these convictions in 2017 and 2018 respectively occurred. So the statute of limitations had run. It's not like murder where there is no statute of limitations um, or that they that any of these women were minors and that there is an additional amount of time added to the statute of limitations once they become an, uh, once they become an, an adult or have a recovered memory. None of the, the whole like, you know, underage thing. It's the one thing he wasn't accused of. So all of these women were subject, all of these cases rather were subject to the normal um, statute of limitations in their respective case, in their respective states, except for the Constant case. This case literally had, I think when they first started saying that um, prosecution was imminent on this case, it literally had months left before the statute of limitations ran out. So as far as the prosecution's office and everybody who was all up in arms about this were concerned, despite the fact that he was doling out the funds. I mean, Constant did sub, uh, uh, settle with Cosby years before when she brought her civil suit after the prosecution declined to prosecute the case in 
February of 2005. In March 2005, she filed her civil case. They did the depositions, and of course, he incriminated himself, and he settled with her for $3.8 million. And then we also know that there were other sealed settlements as well. So there was money being doled out, but no, he had not faced any um, criminal prosecution for what was undoubtedly criminal behavior whether against Ms. Constan or any of the num uh, other number of women. So there was mounting pressure. So what did they do? They went ahead and filed this case against him and just figured, you know what? It uh, may not be the greatest case in the world, but what do we have now? We have these other alleged victims, although he wasn't convicted as it relates to any of them. We're going to try and use them, which as we know, they did. They had five of them testify, which as, as far as I'm concerned, was wholly inappropriate anyway because it was so incredibly prejudicial considering that he hadn't been convicted of raping any of them but because the circumstances especially this whole drugging thing was so substantially similar to the facts and circumstances alleged in the constant case of course a jury was gonna think that okay well if this is what he did to everybody else then he must have done it to her problem with that is he wasn't convicted of any of those things but we argue about that kind of stuff in court all the time but where the rubber really hit the road in this and where some of what the supreme court discussed was also discussed in the evidentiary hearings is when the prosecution wanted to get in these depositions and of course we saw that they got them in because we saw some of the leaked videotape footage of the depositions and what the defense argued even at that time was number one we had an agreement so we shouldn't even have these charges the judge uh, had already ruled and threw that argument out because obviously if the judge had agreed with them in the first place on that particular argument then he would have never been prosecuted and we wouldn't be having this discussion and prosecuted twice by the way to the tune of a hell of a lot of money expended by the state of Pennsylvania as well as by Cosby and his attorneys themselves and, and I've got some opinions about that in a moment so you have that piece but it ended up, his attorneys also argued in the alternative that, Your Honor, even though you may feel like there was no agreement, we still feel like you need to take, take a view of the fact that Mr. Cosby, so this argument was made, detrimentally relied on that agreement whether you think there was or not there were things that were said between the parties that made it totally understandable that he would have thought that um that, that he would have thought that he could speak and he did and now you're going to use this information so they tried to get it thrown out we know they didn't mistrial the first time convicted uh the second time his attorneys have been working non-stop so this case was appealed it goes to it it went to an appeals court uh before it even got to the supreme court the appeals court affirmed the decision and now we get to today's big decision by the pennsylvania supreme court 
uh, which says, no, you screwed the pooch. And furthermore, not only did you screw the pooch, but so did the trial judge by taking uh, words that the DA said, even in his press conference, and sort of construing it the way he felt like it and uh, viewing it very, very narrowly um, because when you read the decision, you can tell that the Supreme Court had no love for this trial judge in terms of the way that he ruled on these matters. So he ruled on it very, very narrowly. So this is, um, so one of the things they talked about was when a prosecution makes a decision not to prosecute that is conditional versus unconditional. Now, of course, we know if it's conditional, then it's like, okay, I'm not going to prosecute you if you, um, and, and, and I make those deals all the time. Uh, your person won't be prosecuted if they have, like, let's take a first offender on a marijuana. Um, and, of course, that's all changing. But we'll take what used to be my first offender on marijuana. Um, it, your person's case is going to be continued one year and it'll be dismissed as long as they maintain good behavior. They're going to lose their license for a period of time. They could get a restricted license if they qualify. And of course, they're going to have to do like a little drug course, etc. And if they do those things, we come back in a year, charge is dismissed. So, you know, get the same thing on uh, assaults, although it's like two years. You do your anger management, you keep your nose clean, etc. So you get the point. Unconditional means, okay, your person's case is dismissed, or in Cosby's case, or in Cosby's situation, there was no case. We're not going to prosecute him, period. No conditions that he do this or that. We're just not going to do it. And of course, we know the reason why they did it that way is because they wanted him to rely on that when he talked. So the court addressed that and said that, yes, if it's conditional and there's conditions that aren't met, yeah, prosecute them. But, quote, an entirely different situation arises when the decision not to prosecute is unconditional, is presented as absolute and final, or is announced in such a way that it induces the defendant to act in reliance, there's that word, thereupon. When a non-prosecution decision is conveyed in such a way and when a defendant having no indication to the contrary detrimentally relies, and you notice I've said that a lot of times, so now we see, we're seeing where it's not just just Jonda saying it, the court said it as well, detrimentally relies upon that decision, due process may warrant preclusion of, that of the prosecution. Numerous state and federal courts have found that a defendant's detrimental reliance upon the government's assurances during the plea bargaining phase both implicates his due process rights and entitles him to enforcement even of unconsummated agreements. So that also deals with the whole uh, the whole issue of, well, there was nothing in writing. This wasn't a, a plea deal per se. No, it doesn't matter. You discussed it. It was understood. You even had a press conference and said it. Now you all can try and backpedal from it and say, well, we didn't mean this, well, we didn't mean that, but Cosby had competent counsel the entire time who certainly well knew what they all walked out of there believing. And the district attorney himself knew exactly 
what he intended when he made that deal. He intended for Cosby not to be in a position where he couldn't talk or wouldn't talk. And so the court said further. So the court even, you know, goes along with our reasoning. Cosby did not invoke the Fifth Amendment before he incriminated himself because he was operating under the reasonable belief that D.A. Castor's decision not to prosecute him meant that the potential exposure to criminal punishment no longer existed. And remember, we're on, all of this is just about this one case, just constant, none of the other matters. And of course, there was no prosecution in the other cases anyway. Cosby could not invoke that which he no longer possessed. So again, remember I told you in the beginning, this. remember what I told you about the Fifth Amendment. He no longer possessed, given the Commonwealth's assurances that he faced no risk of prostitution. Not only did D.A. Castor's unconditional decision not to prosecute Cosby strip Cosby of a fundamental constitutional right, but because he was forced to testify, because he was subpoenaed, Cosby provided Constance civil attorneys with evidence of Cosby's past use of drugs to facilitate his sexual ex exploits. So as we know, he didn't just talk about facilitating sex with drugs with Constance. He talked about it just doing it generally with other people, not even necessarily saying, oh, it was Sally on Monday you know, Joan on Tuesday, but just in general, have you done this in the past? Yes. Have you done it more than once? Yes. More than twice? Yes. More than five times, probably. So yes, he talked about that. The dude has a thing for sleeping with people who are unconscious. You know, that's a whole other thing for a whole different episode. Back to the court. Undoubtedly, this information hindered Cosby's ability to defend against the civil action and led to a settlement for a significant amount of money, which in the Constant case we know was $3.8 million. We are left with no doubt that Cosby, once again these words, relied to his detriment upon the district attorney's decision not to prosecute him. The question then becomes whether that reliance was reasonable because unreasonable reliance warrants no legal remedy. Well, I won't belabor reading uh, the next section where they find that it was reasonable, of, of course, that uh, his reliance was reasonable. And he certainly had competent counsel to, uh, to help him in making that decision. And of course, we know that that was what the prosecution admittedly intended. The trial court alternately suggested, quote, that Cosby's belief that he would never be prosecuted. Okay, so I got that. So they went on to say that um, based on little more than a press release, which is what the court relied on, um, that it was not unreasonable that, um, well, it was, well, put it this way, the trial court, this is where the trial court once again was just, it, it felt like they were advocating for the prosecution. And when I say the trial court, I'm talking about the court he was convicted in, the, orig the, the original case. 
The trial court suggested that Cosby's belief that he would never be prosecuted, thus stripping him of his Fifth Amendment rights based upon little more than a press release was unreasonable because neither Cosby nor his attorneys demanded the terms of any offers or assurances be reduced to writing. The Supreme Court said, screw you, my words, not theirs, this reasoning is unpersuasive. Or let's say what the judge was really thinking when he wrote this decision, bullshit. You knew darn well that's why he did it. Neither the trial court nor the Commonwealth, for that matter, cited one legal principle that requires a prosecutor's assurances to be memorialized in writing in order to warrant reasonable reliance. We declined to construe as unreasonable the failure to do that which the law does not require. And I can tell you, as someone who has been practicing over 20 years now and has has dealt with uh defended literally thousands of cases and since uh you know i i do all kinds of cases i've certainly done more than my fair share of plea agreements where there were actually charges at play not a case like this where the person hadn't even been charged yet these things are not always reduced to writing in fact even in everyday court um, some of the stuff you see on TV, not accurate, but some of it you do. Like we are literally wheeling and dealing in the hallways and go, okay, um, so this person, first offender, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and especially we know each other. We're there every day. Okay. Are we going to do what we talked about on the phone last night? We're good. You okay with me going in and telling the judge and going at, okay, John, I trust you. Go ahead. I go in, I tell the judge, the judge has no reason to believe, believe that I'm going to stand in a room full of people and lie. Tell the judge what's going on. If the prosecutor, if it's a minor case, may or may not even come in the room. Judge enters the plea. Client goes about their business, whether through the jail door or out the front door. I mean, this is, I mean, this is just practice 101. And it would literally impede the wheels of justice for moving if we had to do that kind of stuff constantly. Now, it is better, of course we know it's better to have things in writing, but people make gentlemen or gentlewomen's agreements all the time. I mean, we may make an agreement on the phone and we just don't have time. We get to court in the morning and we just deal with it. Or we scribble something on a piece of paper. But again, we, we, we don't have to get into all of that. And it depends on uh, the courthouse. So in this case, the court basically said uh, in this final words, in our view, and they talked about what they were going to, and, and I'm sorry, jumping ahead of myself. The court ultimately talked about what they were going to do. What are we going to do in this case as it relates to um, this, uh, as it relates to Mr. Cosby? Because we know now his rights were violated. This was, uh, this was absolutely wrong. He should not have been convicted. He shouldn't even have been charged. So again, this is not about overturning a conviction. This is about vacating the charge, which of course overturns the, the, uh, the conviction as well, which is why they're saying immediate release because if the case doesn't exist, he shouldn't be there. So um, what they what the court then had to decide is whether or not they would do what is called um, specific performance of the decision, which was not to prosecute, which of course would, as I said, it would vacate everything. We go bloop 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 bloop, and of course he can't get two years of his life and all of his money back. But 
don't cry for me, Argentina. I don't feel sorry for Bill Cosby. At the end of the day, we do know that he is an admitted predator. However, he also has rights. So not feeling sorry that he did have to, he, he did suffer in some form, but you also, however we may feel about him, you can't be locking people up and just playing fast and loose with people's rights. So they decided that the only thing to do was specific performance here, which was, and, and by specific performance, they mean to follow what the agreement was supposed to be because anything short of that would continue the violation of his rights because anything short of specific performance would be like, well, they were wrong in prosecuting him, but since the person, I mean, what are you going to, how do you justify that? Say, well, yes, Castor said he wasn't going to prosecute him, but how was the person 15 years later supposed to know? Be, or 10 years later supposed to know? Because you're in the same office and a decision for one is a decision for all. You are speaking on behalf of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You are speaking on behalf of the government and the government can't just have citizens relying on their rights being honored one way and then do something else. I mean, you just can't do it. We can't operate that way. We know what happens when we operate that way because unfortunately, there are people whose rights are violated every day. And unfortunately, they don't have the vast resources of Bill Cosby to fight for the days, months, years, literal years, because we saw it here, that it took to get to a point where not only was it determined that the decision was wrong, but he should have never even been prosecuted in the first place, which however you may feel about uh, Bill Cosby is just inconceivable. So what the court ultimately said is, in our view, specific performance of D.A. Castor's decision in the form of barring Cosby's prosecution for the incident involving Constant is the only remedy that comports with society's reasonable expectations of his elected prosecutors and our criminal justice system. I agree with that sentence wholeheartedly. It bears repeating that D.A. Castor intended his charging decision to induce the waiver of Cosby's fundamental constitution, constitutional right, remember Fifth Amendment, um, which is why the prosecution prosecutor rendered his decision in a very public manner. Cosby reasonably relied to his detriment upon that decade-old decision when he declined to attempt to avail himself of privilege against compulsory self-incrimination. And I'm sorry, she brought the civil case in 2015, um, not 2005, um, about to, uh, against self-incrimination. And when he provided Constance civil attorneys with inculpatory statements under these circumstances, neither our principles of justice nor society's expectations nor our sense of fair play and decency can tolerate anything short of compelling the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office to stand by the decision of his former elected head. And also, it should be noted that Castor wasn't just a random ADA in the office and this a random assistant DA in the office. Castor was the head DA, the elected official 
who ran that office, who ultimately, um, who is the one who made that agreement. Also, just a correction, because I know I said something about the years. So the alleged incident occurred in January 2004. The She went and met with the prosecution's office and they did their investigation in January and February of 2005, which is when the decision was made not to move forward with the case. And then she didn't bring the civil suit until 10 years later in 2015. So, and I thought that that was important to note, one, because I'd given the wrong dates, but it's also important to note because um, again, the timeline works out because once the depositions occurred as a result of her case being brought in 2015 and the subsequent settlement, then obviously it worked out for the prosecution to then get a hold of that uh, deposition information when they decided to move forward with their prosecution in 2016. Now, just a quick aside before I wrap this up, because I promised myself I wouldn't be on for more than an hour. Um, this is my concern about what happened today. And I think that we need to be very careful about how we discuss this from um, when we're having our discussions to make sure that you... Uh, you discuss it from an educated point of view, and, and by that, I mean actually understanding, number one, what this case was about, which is only the Constant case, so that's first. Number two, that this in no way exonerates Bill Cosby wholeheartedly from the allegations against him, which I cannot emphasize more. He has admitted to um, on multiple occasions. And three, being found not guilty or, or in this case, not being prosecuted because of evidentiary concerns or the ability to have enough evidence to prosecute and someone being innocent actually innocent are two completely different things. And, and I say that even from the standpoint of being a defense attorney and, um, you know, having to make sure that people understand even my clients, which of course they understand that being found uh, not guilty and you being innocent are two different things. You and I both know that you're not innocent. You just are not guilty in the legal sense. and Part of that is probably just because they can't prove it, not because you didn't do it. And so that is the distinction. But where I think that that this uh, case with all of the people running around uh, or some acting like this is some kind of victory and adding this to some kind of victory as it relates to African-Americans in the legal justice system is it's not. It is absolutely not because this case ha is nothing, uh, has nothing to do with that, quite frankly. And also the average person, let's be real, the average person does not have the vast resources of a Bill Cosby or even an OJ at the time. Um, whether it is through connections and friends or actual cold hard cash to launch a defense and ongoing appeals of this nature. So 
does our criminal justice system still need tremendous reform? Yes. Is this case uh, reflect some of that? Absolutely. But does is this case somehow something that we hang our hat on as African Americans to say, well, look at what they're doing to black men. Bill Cosby should be out. Hell no. Because we do know by his own admission who and what Bill Cosby is. Bill Cosby is not Cliff Huxtable. Bill Cosby is not that awesome, fun character that he played in Let's Do It Again in Uptown Saturday Night. Bill Cosby is the person who admits to drugging women and having sex with them. Now, uh, is he an extremely rich man who was able to do some wonderful things along with his wife as it relates to um, HBCUs and other schools and, and really promoting the cause of, um, of African Americans in college and all of that? Um, will um, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids forever be uh, one of some of our favorite cartoons and the Cosby Show is not thrown out like throwing out the baby with the dirty bath water? Um, it, absolutely. Um, no, and I agree with you, um, uh, H. Beloy. Um, you are absolutely right. This is a victory in the sense that it was an unjust prosecution and I agree with that. Absolutely. And, and of course, as a defense attorney, I'm ecstatic. Justice was done. And that is why I, I made it a point at the very beginning of this to make sure that people understand the significance of this is uh, of this decision because the significance uh well let's not bring r kelly in this the the significance of this decision because in the because this was a constitutional level case this was not just somebody screwing up as far as you know when people argue about you know what his attorney did or you know, um, you know, in, in any case where there are errors made in the trial court, and of course we make note of them and raise them on appeal. No, this was a constitutional level case that came down to the court having to have an actual discussion about due process and your right to and your right to plead the fifth. I mean your fifth amendment right, which of course is part of due process. And so this, uh, so what happened here was huge in terms of not only the finding the court made, but also the absolute remedy that they went with, which was to not kind of, you know, say, well, I mean, given what we know and uh, given the things that he did say, no, this is what happened. Rights were violated baby with the bathwater, case is out of here. Which means that he walks away from this with a record as clean as it was at his first meeting with the prosecution. Now, is now is there a moral victory to be had in this? Well, I said in 2018 that it was a day when he was, when they got the, the second conviction, uh, you can pat yourself on the back that it was a moral victory from the standpoint of at least some of the victims, the people who actually were victimized by him. 
to some degree. I mean, it was only two years, but was he, um, was he a, uh, was it a legal victory? No. So, uh, I have a question for H. Beloy. Uh, your ability to say that he's not a good man comes from ill-gotten sources. So in the end, you wouldn't have thought bad of him unless he didn't get wrongly prosecuted. That's not true. And I'll say why. Because his, uh, first of all, I never believed that every, that 50 people were lying on him. So I, I never believed, and, and this is Jonda, just saying, Jonda as a person, all 50 people were not lying on him. So I, 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 that is something I never personally believed. Number two, even before this case came along, you had him laughing and joking on Larry King about the fact that at that point he called it Spanish fly, that he had put Spanish fly in, uh, in women's drinks, that that was something they used to do back in the day. You also had various people. Um, including even Malcolm Jamal Warner, who talked about the fact that they knew people who ended up, who were in the company of Mr. Cosby, and the outcome wasn't so great, but because of his power and, um, and what have you, they didn't feel comfortable um, coming forward and, and you just do it. So in answer to your question, would we know it absolute, um, possibly not depending on, you know, what you, what you feel you need to draw conclusions? I agree with you. And as far as the court is concerned, would there be a, a question about, um, in terms, as far as the court was concerned, would he have been able to be prosecuted if not, uh, if not for that information? Of course not. But ill-gotten gain or not, um, it's it's it it sucks that this situation went down this way. And I would certainly prefer if these things were if these things came out in a manner where no one could fall back on, well, you know, the man uh, screwed him over. So he, because that's, that's, the, that's the area we're getting into when we start talking about how we know what we know and why we believe what we believe because we start getting into that real funky area of saying, well, if they didn't do what they did, then we wouldn't even be saying this about him and whatever. As a woman, as someone who has been through things in her own past, so a force to count myself among the uh, one in four or, or maybe even one in three women who have dealt with some manner of inappropriate sexual touching or and or assault um i i can't get caught up in the um in the weeds of why we know what we know the point is that we do know and um i don't think it's a bad thing that we know as it relates to him being prosecuted criminally that's a completely different thing and of course, as someone who does have respect for the law, 
when properly applied as someone who actually does believe that we have a good framework in theory in terms of the framework for um, our legal system and the rights that we have um, it, it's just the uh, it's just the application that is often the problem um, I absolutely support this decision and I, I am glad that um, it's one that people want to talk about because ultimately it allows us to talk about certain things that people don't usually talk about. It allows us to talk about um, things that are important like your actual civil rights and your right against self-incrimination and, and all of those things. But we get to talk about them as it relates to somebody everybody knows, so it keeps everyone's attention. If I just got on here and just decided that I was going to just pick a Wednesday night and give you all a Fifth Amendment lesson, well, I probably wouldn't get as many listeners. So, <laughs> so you know, we at least have that. But I, I appreciate your question, and I think that... Your question brings up some of the overall concerns that I have, even from a victim standpoint, because what has what we have a tendency to do, and I say this particularly what tends to happen in the African American community, and I saw it happening already today, was this whole thing of, well, I'm glad he's out because, you know, there's a lot of white people that have done this and that and the third, and they get away with it. I, I understand the tendency to feel that way, but what it is, ignores is that there are victims on the other side of these crimes no matter who they are committed by there are victims on the other side of these allegations i mean obviously the ones that are true who have been assaulted and raped and what have you um and it ignores the fact that there is someone whose life is forever altered and often for the worst because for every one person you see on television who has risen above everything that happened from happened to them and rose like a phoenix from the ashes and became an advocate and they're out there and they're marching and they're testifying before congress and whatever there are millions of other people who are just somewhere curled in a ball praying that they can make it through the next day without wanting to jump out of their own skin or in the alternative jump off of a building. And when we start getting into that whole idea that people somehow shouldn't be punished or prosecuted because of what happens to one group of people versus another, we leave out the most important group of people who, who basically get the short end of the stick, which are the people who are victimized. 
And so, uh, and, and we get into a very slippery slope. Should all of those, should, should Roman Polanski be somewhere under a jail? Sure. Weinstein, all of these people, Benjamin Button, youth burglar, AKA Russell Simmons should not be sitting on a mountain somewhere coming up with new ways to aggravate his wife. He should, you know, um, him and Brent Ratner should be somewhere writing apology letters for chasing, uh, uh, barely legal models. We know this stuff, but, and, and, and we, and, and I think that some of this belies common sense. We all know that, uh, other people should be facing the consequences for, of their actions. And we absolutely should have a nasty taste in our mouths about not only, um, the fact that this prosecution happened, but the way that this prosecution happened. But again, that doesn't ignore, uh, that doesn't change the fact that if you do something, you get prosecuted for it. And if you make yourself subject to a system that is potentially going to treat you more harshly or prosecute you more vigorously, um, I have a, I have a issue feeling bad for you. I, I, you know, and of course, like I said, this is why I'm, I am, I make clear when I'm having this discussions to distinguish whether I am speaking as just John to the person or just John to the defense attorney who has an entirely different way of looking at these things. Because at that point, I'm looking at it from the purely black and white view of there are certain elements to a crime that needs to be proven. And if you can't prove them against my client, it is up to me to make sure that my client isn't locked up accordingly. Because with all the resources of the state, if you had the evidence to convict my client, you should be able to do it. So if you can't, that's your problem, not mine. Okay. It. Now I am. Uh, I did have Mr. Beloy call in. So welcome to uh, Just Jonda's LBD. How are you this fine Wednesday night? I'm doing great. I'm really enjoying the your analysis of the Cosby situation. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, okay. So go ahead. I had. I had. I didn't want to keep texting, but I wanted to ask you a question with respect mm -hmm. to what he. Um, just if you could go back, I, I, I don't, I want to understand when he said what he said in terms of his admissions and the mm -hmm. depositions, right? Yes. Is that something that would have been different or, you know, is that somewhat tainted by like, um, like how much credibility does even that have? Do we take it to say that he would you know, a person who is innocent, like in law school, they teach you that if you're, there are certain crimes that if you're innocent of, you you would never admit to doing them ever under any circumstances. Or I, I'm just trying to figure out or, or kind wonder, of what is there any, was there any reason was. for him to admit those things? If he didn't um, do them. Yeah. Was there any reason why he could have, was there some other kind of deal or some other kind of um, like, hey, you know what? If you just say you did this, this, and this, we'll we'll just it'll be over with in a day. If you if you don't, then there'll be another fight, and then they'll 
they'll throw the book at you and then this thing will go public. Like, were there any reasons for him to just go ahead and say those things and then, um, you know, and have those be on the record? Um, a great question. And which, and, and honestly, it goes to, so I'm glad you asked it because I know that this part may, may be a bit confusing. And your question really goes to the heart of the court's analysis. So again, great question. What, um, what happened was that by the, uh, D.A. Castor, who, as we know, wasn't just some random ADA in the office, right? He was the head dude. Because, you know, Bill Cosby, when he brings in his big attorneys, they're going to go get the, the man. They're not going to have him dealing with some guy. Could you uh, go on mute while I answer your question? Because I'm getting some feedback. Okay. Uh, wait a minute. I think, can I mute? Yeah, I, I need you to go on mute while I answer your question. Yeah. Um, so... At any rate, what they did, I'm still hearing feedback. You got it? No, just mute it on your phone. Are you calling me on the phone? Uh, yeah, I don't know where the mute button is, though. Okay, uh, well, but I'm hearing feedback. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to click you off or uh, hang up, and I'll just answer your question without yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, so yeah, I'll hang up, it. and then I'll answer. Okay, perfect, and then I'll keep talking. Okay, so essentially what the what the prosecutor did was tell him i'm not going to prosecute this case not enough i i don't feel like i have enough evidence everything's too messy you and her kept talking okay yes i see you did you and her kept talking or you know all of that so i'm not going to prosecute then the prosecutor admits that part of his rationale in making that agreement and doubling down on it by doing the press conference was because once that was done, then his right to um, not testify, you know, his Fifth Amendment right would have been irrelevant because you're not um, you're not in danger of being charged. So the quick answer to your question is there was no specific deal like the kind that we make in court. You do this and we'll do that kind of thing. So there wasn't a deal in that way. This was a little bit more sophisticated, which unfortunately made it very easy for them to try to maneuver around it when he ultimately was prosecuted because there was no quid pro quo. There wasn't a situation where um, when Cosby's team argued this before the trial court that they were able to say, well, no, you guys agreed that if I testified that you wouldn't do this or you wouldn't do that. No, it was much more slick than that. Instead, what the prosecutor did was say, I'm not going to testify, period and hands off, knowing that if there was a civil case, whether it came a month later, which like I said, I screwed up to date, or the, and of course, as we know, there were other civil cases going on, or ultimately later on when Constad did bring her case, that because he relied on the fact that he wouldn't be prosecuted, and that there was no pending prosecution, there was no reason for him to uh, to plead the fifth. 
And so that was, so from, as it relates to your part of the question, as um, in terms of was there any kind of deal? No, there was no quid pro quo deal in from the standpoint of if you do this, we'll do that, which is what made it harder for his team, but easier for the prosecution to convince the trial judge who clearly wanted to be convinced that the agreement wasn't really an agreement. It was just something that was said at the time because they didn't have the evidence at the time, but that they uh, could leave the door open to bringing, to bringing the case whenever they felt that they got the evidence, which was not the discussion and it was not the intent. And ultimately uh, when DA Castor was forced to testify, he admitted that no, that's not what I intended because obviously I knew that if he relied on what I said and gave up his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and, and incriminated himself, then obviously all the more reason why I wouldn't be, uh, I would be in bad faith to bring charges against him. So this was a situation where the prosecution, um, in my opinion, overstepped their bounds in hoping that by making this agreement, and they admitted that they did this, by sort of making this kind of handshake agreement that the next steps would be Cosby doing exactly what he ultimately did, which was incriminating himself. However, because A, the specific words of D.A. Castor's consent were not reduced to writing and he was no longer in the office and somebody else with uh, a different agenda and what and and just what have you decided that they were going to handle it a different way. It allowed for that because it was not as explicit as you or I would have liked it. Like you said, if you do this, then we'll do that because that's very explicit. Now, the other part of your question, as you mentioned about in law school, there being a certain category of things that people don't typically admit to when they don't, uh, if they don't do them. Um, I think that we all know, aged or not, one of the many, th of all the things that have been said about Cosby. Now, I don't know about his condition coming out of jail, but we certainly know going into jail, the only thing that they really talked about him health-wise was his physical health, not his mental health. In fact, Bill Cosby prided himself on being a very intelligent man. And we know that up until literally a couple of years, um, maybe even within a year or two of him being charged, he was still performing, not to the degree and uh, level that he had done before because he didn't have to. So he didn't have to do multiple appearances and it wasn't always comedy, right? He was doing like sort of these lecture series because he was kind of pissing people off talking about how people dress and all, you know, that, that whole thing that was going on. He was, you know, so we know that. So yes, he was, he was doing youth lectures and that type of thing. Um, 
and, and I remember there was a whole thing uh, within a couple of years of uh, probably simultaneously with his charges uh, where the Carmichael show, which was an amazing show. If you have Netflix, I believe it's on Netflix. So awesome. The Carmichael show even had an episode about him coming to town and whether or not they were going to go and see him and the whole thing. So he was still touring, although not very much because, you know, at, well, this was about four or five years ago. So he was still in his late seventies cause he's 83 now. But the bottom line is I, I say, uh, I say all that to say that, um, I do not believe that, uh, Bill Cosby was in a situation where he was not in his right mind and he does, he did have competent counsel and for one of a better way of putting it, especially uh, in the way that he would speak about things in his later years, like many people in his income bracket and that have been as famous as he was for so long, as well as, and evidenced by the type of things that he did, i.e. this whole, you know, drugging women and having sex with them in the first place. Bill Cosby was quite arrogant. He still is. So would a man who, uh, with his level of intelligence, um, and even his level of intelligence in hiring the type of representation that he, um, that he has and how highly he thought of himself in terms, even in terms of how highly he thought of himself being Dr. William H. Cosby, who goes around and lectures uh, black people about how we're living in uh, one way or the other. Um, would someone like that admit to something like this if he didn't do it? I highly doubt it. It's especially given that it was it cost him a hell of a lot of money. We know about the settlement in the Constant case because obviously that all came out during the course of the print of the criminal prosecution. So any type of uh, seals or NDAs as it related to the settlement in that case kind of went out the window, but this was not the only settlement check that he wrote. This is just one of the ones we know about um, from the standpoint of it not being under seal because of the um, of the prosecution. So in answer to your second question, I guess a short answer is my gut tells me that this is not the type of person by any stretch of the imagination uh, both by intelligence and personality traits that he has displayed, who would admit to something of this level, knowing the implications of it, knowing what it would do to a very carefully cultivated legacy that had been cultivated very well for over 40 years and Jen to just throw that out of the way, talking out of crack of, uh, talking out of the crack of his ass in a civil case. No, there was, uh, I don't think that he would have just admitted to that. And first of all, in a civil case, think about it. He has, there's no incentive in a civil case to admit to something if you didn't think you did it. Either you settle it or you go to court and let the chips fall where they may. He could afford it. 
it's only it's usually in a criminal case where you get into the discussion about whether or not someone is likely uh, yeah whether or not someone is likely to um incriminate themselves if they didn't do it because they are afraid of the larger repercussions or they're concerned about threats to um or they're concerned about threats to uh th threats to do more time or you'll get a better deal if you just admit to this or that there's no incentive to do that in a civil case if you think you're gonna lose you settle you don't admit to something you don't feel that that you did we see people settle cases all the time why because they think that there's a possibility they're going to either well there's one of two reasons either a you think there's a possibility that you may lose or b you want it to go away so that it doesn't damage your reputation your ability to work your business etc michael jackson is case in point like johnny cochran said johnny cochran advised him immediately to settle those cases not because michael felt that he was guilty not even because he felt that he would lose it was was because given what his image was more damage would be done the longer a civil case dragged out because as we know unlike a criminal case where there's speedy trial implications and what have you a civil case can literally go on for as long as people are willing to drag it out continue court dates and fight it so um so I hope that that answered your question. And again, for those of you who stayed on, because I know that we went a little over, I hope that um, you got something out of this, you enjoyed it, you will share it, not this link, but when I post the final, when I post the link uh, tomorrow, that you will share it um, across the board. As you know, I am on uh, multiple platforms. Uh, when I go live, I'm on Podbean because they're my host. However, I am on iTunes, Google, Acast, Verbal, Amazon, Spotify, anywhere where you listen to your podcast, you will find Let's Be Honest with Just Jonda. And this, of course, falls under the Let's Be Honest with Just Jonda station. It's just one of my special legal breakdown episodes that I promised you all I would start doing. And as if you didn't hear the episode last week where I had, I interviewed a gentleman who had a nightmare situation with his um with his home repair person where it literally turned into a true crime story the person started coming back and vandalizing his home vandalized his car to the point where it had to be totaled all and it all started with him just hiring this dude to landscape his lawn I mean it is crazy but I did an interview with him gave some advice talked to uh, the audience generally about uh, how you probably should handle situations when home repairs go terribly wrong and so we're going to again continue to talk about of course the cases everybody wants to know about with the celebrity stuff but if you have other questions and things you've got all of my contact information you can stay in touch with me and follow me so you know when episodes come up or communicate with me via social media twitter and instagram at let's be honest jj that's l-e-t-s-b-e-h-o-n-e-s-t-j-j for just jonda 
or you can send me an email at lesbianistjj at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to stay with our daily dose of pop culture foolishness, fashion, drama, politics, all of that, then of course, join in on the fun at the Fashion and Drama Diaries. The link is in the, I always say the comment section, but it's not the comment section. <laughs> the link is in the description section. You click it, you join in and join the fun. We have over a thousand people who follow daily just to see what the hell I'm going to talk about. And of course, subscribe wherever you enjoy podcasts to stay with Let's Be Honest with Just Jonda. If you have just jumped in, then you've got 73 episodes to catch up on, buddy. So join in. And as always, remember, if you're thinking about it and want to talk about it, chances are I'm thinking about it and want to talk about it too. So let's be honest together. Good night.